We'll multiply Lake Norman. Hey, listen, how are we doing this morning? Everybody feeling good? That's what I'm talking about. Hey, for the first time visitors in the room, my name is Pastor Zach. Uh, my wife, Jenna, and myself had the opportunity to plant Multiply Church about five and a half years ago with 36 people. And man, we're just continuing to split, spread the love, the grace, and the forgiveness of Jesus the best that we can. Before we get started today, got a couple quick announcements, some things that I want you to kind of let you in on. The first one is this. You guys know that Pastor Keith uh, preached last week. I had the opportunity to, to go back down to Nicaragua, and you're saying, Pastor, why are you going to Nicaragua so much? For those who don't know, uh, we have officially planted a location in Ocotal, Nicaragua, something to get excited about. So we went down this past week to uh, commission Pastor Carlos and their team. Take a look at the pictures on the screen. You can kind of see some small group stuff that we did. Uh, we're taking a trip in July, taking a trip in October, and then taking another trip in February. Good news, bad news. Good news is there's two spots left in July. October's full and February's open, all right? So if it's something that you want to go on and experience to go down and be with our Multiply family in Nicaragua, those are our opportunities for that. Another thing that we have coming up, I don't know if you know this or not, but um, in like three weeks, this thing called Easter's coming. Y'all excited? Like y'all excited? I can't believe that it's almost April. Uh, Pastor Manny, I'm going to have you join me on stage. You got some stuff that you need to kind of share with us for Easter. So the first thing that you guys need to know is this. April the 7th at 7 p.m., we're holding our first ever Good Friday service, and we'll have it here. So Liberty Fair, I love, I love the energy. Thank you. I appreciate you. Uh, but man, we're going to be excited for that. Uh, we're going to be doing the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross, and we're going to have different communicators, and I'm excited for that experience. So man, bring people out to that. But we also have Easter Sunday coming up, April the 9th. Yep. Tell us a little bit about what's going on. Yeah, so I'm going to give you a quick picture of what's going to look like on Easter. And then I have some details this to provide for us as we prepare because our team has been so hard at work getting honestly it. over the last six, seven weeks now really preparing for Easter Sunday. And we know Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. you mean Easter doesn't just happen? No, it doesn't just happen. Oh, so we, it takes some work. Oh, it takes yeah, yeah, so yeah. it takes people serving and yeah, I think you're gonna talk about that volunteering today, and, yeah, and yeah. I, like getting after that's it. Right. That's, that's right. That's weird. Yeah. Okay, it, go ahead. Not, oh, yeah. <laughs> so on, on Easter Sunday, we're gonna do the two services, nine AM and ten thirty. And we're going to have a family fun day at the end of each service. Come on. So we're going to have the donut wall. We're going to have cotton candy. We're going to have popcorn. We're going to have bounce houses. We're going to have a petting zoo with bunnies and chicks. We're going to have a professional photographer because I know everyone's going to be in their Sunday best for Easter. Some of great backdrops. You can take professional photos for you and your family. We're going to have baptisms Come on. on Sunday as well. That's what I'm talking so, about. So, hey, if you're interested in getting baptized on Easter Sunday, we have a slide right here that you're going to see on the screen. Go ahead and scan that QR code and sign up to get baptized. We would love to walk you through that process of what it looks like to yeah. get baptized. And we're going to celebrate alongside you. I mean, what, what better way to get baptized than on Easter Sunday? Come on. So if you've been thinking about it, go ahead, and we would love to baptize you and celebrate you on Easter Sunday. And in preparation for Easter we have some opportunities of serving. So this is a QR code that you can go ahead and scan. If you're watching online, you can go ahead to multiplylkn.church. And we, are, have a, we have a huge opportunity for serving. Whether you serve here or not, I mean, to be able to facilitate bounce houses and cotton candy and yeah. donut walls and making room for all the people that we're going to have here on Easter Sunday, we have a lot of opportunity for you to be able to serve alongside of us. And also in preparation... The team has created a bunch of different graphics and signs Come for us on. to take home. So as you leave today, make sure that you grab some of these. We have all the way from 
cards, come sit with me cards you can put in your back pocket in your wallet to hand out to come friends on. and family. We have five by seven cards if you want to put it on a bulletin board and all the way up to poster sizes. If you own businesses, go to community centers. Here's the reality. If you invite someone to Easter, especially on Easter Sunday, the likelihood of them coming is extremely high. It's 100% likely that they're going to come if you take them with you. That's right. Did you catch that? If you drive them to church on Easter Sunday, they're going to be there 100% of the time. Come on. But here's the reality. People are looking for a place, and we want to make sure that we're reaching our community in the best way possible. So if you're interested in serving alongside of us on Easter Sunday, interested in getting baptized, interested in getting these in your hands, they're outside, make sure you grab some. Next week as well, we're going to have a bunch of yard signs as well. So make sure you grab those yard signs next week. So just to let you know, we are preparing 100% for Easter, and we are expecting the Lord to show up in a big way to reach the community in the Lake Norman area. Love so we it. can't wait for Easter Sunday. Y'all give it up for Pastor Manny. Hey, why do we, why do, let me, let me pause for a second. Why do we even take the time on a Sunday morning on stage to give you that type of information? It's because we know, like Pastor Manny said, there's people in our community that need to know about the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. It's not about filling a room so we can say, oh, we had our largest service ever. No, what if someone comes in this room that you bring and they step into a relationship with Jesus and guess what? When they do that, they don't spend eternity in hell. If we're real with ourselves, there, there's two options after you die. Heaven, hell. For far too long, Christ followers have tried to sugarcoat this thing like, oh, if you're just a good person, I'll get to that in a second. But man, what if we do what God has called us to do, to step into the field, to step into the harvest, to bring people to church that they might experience, again, the love and the grace and the forgiveness of who Jesus is and the difference that he can make in their life. That, that's why we do what we do. Now, let me say this. I said this during first service. I'll say it again. So over the next couple of weeks, here, here's the reality. There are a lot of good churches in this area. You're going to see Facebook posts. You're going to see Instagram posts. You're going to see flyers from other churches. You'll probably get invited to another church. This is what I want us to focus on as Multiply Lake Norman. I want our focus to be on the kingdom. So when you drive by another a sign that's in somebody's yard that says, hey, come visit us at so-and-so church, pray for that church. Pray that people would show up. Pray that they would hear the message of the Bible, the, the, the full message of the Bible. Let me be very clear, all right? Can we pray for churches in our area that during this season, when people are more susceptible or more open to stepping into a church service, that we link arms with the churches in this area, pray with them and for them, that people might understand who Jesus is. Can we all commit to doing that? Can we at least commit to doing that? That's what I'm talking about. Well, here we go. We're stepping into week three of our crossover series. And in week one and two, I spoke in Zechariah chapter eight, and Pastor Keith spoke last week about the power of generations. But every time I read these scriptures, I get encouraged because Christ is calling us, like we said a few weeks ago, to build brick by brick. To truly put our hands to work, to speak truth, to speak love, to speak encouragement. Again, to share the message of who Jesus is. Is. Pastor Keith reminded us about the importance of generations last week, and he reminded us that we're truly fighting against the enemy, that we're fighting for the kingdom of God, and we're fighting for our legacy. So again, we've been in the book of Zechariah. If we back up one book to Haggai chapter 2, verse 9, I want to read this scripture to remind us that the glory of the present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord God Almighty. What I know is this we've seen God move in this church. 
We've seen God move in individuals' lives. We've seen salvations. We've seen baptisms. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen kids come back and and return home, return to being part of the church. And and we're going to celebrate the past. We're going to celebrate all those things. But Scripture reminds us that the glory of the present house is greater than the glory of the former house. It's good to look back and acknowledge what God did, but it's also important that we look forward to what God is still actively doing. We can't be so fixated on what God did that we miss the mark on what God is doing, especially in this season. I know this, that God didn't bring us this far just to bring us this far. He didn't bring us to the water's edge to tease us. He wants us to truly cross over. He didn't bring you this far in your life. You haven't gone through all the experiences that you've experienced just to come this far. What is he calling you to in the next season? What is he calling this church to in the next season? Today we're going to be in Zechariah chapter 10, a a scripture that if you let it will encourage you and it absolutely will direct you. But to understand this scripture, we have to have a working knowledge of Middle Eastern weathering patterns and season. And in the Middle East, there's two major harvest seasons. Now with both of those, basically the farmer has already sown their seed. They look to their their storehouse. Their storehouse has been emptied. They're down to the final level. And all they're waiting on is the rain to produce the next harvest. And they live like that season after season, year after year. Now, growing up, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, South Carolina, all right? So anybody from South Carolina in the room? Where are you from? Are you really? Well, you're right. You're like an hour down the road. You're like towards the beach, though. So anybody else from South Carolina? Okay, then nobody can disagree with what I'm going to say. You just have to trust what I'm going to say. I can't believe there's nobody in here from South Carolina. Praise the Lord. Uh, <laughs> bless your heart. <laughs> All that good stuff. But man, I I grew up and my grandparents, they would plant crops every year. Now, if you've ever, anybody in the room ever planted anything? Okay, um, I don't mean put stuff in the ground and hope that it grows. Did you really plant it, tend to it, grow it, it produce something? Okay, then then you have a green thumb, all right? Um, We do not have green thumbs in our households. We kill like the snake plants that are supposed to survive. Like, (laughs) and by we, I don't mean me, all right? Love you, babe. No, but some, some things that you plant, they produce year after year. We would plant scuffadines and muscadines, and those vines would just grow, and they just produce year after years. Our plum trees and blueberry bushes, they would produce year after year as long as you tended to them. Now, there's other crops that you plant. You have to plant the seed year after year. They don't just germinate year after year. You have to tend to a new crop in season and out of season. So my grandparents, man, they would plant squash and and cucumbers and okra. And I remember walking around and having to pull those vegetables to bring them into the house so that we would have dinner. But we would also plant tomatoes and potatoes. Now, I'm going to say it like I said it growing up. We would plant maters and taters. Anybody else in the room plant maters and taters? All right. But I I remember planting them, and and I'd have to go out. It was like my job as a kid. I would have to go out, and I'd have to fertilize and water each plant. And it wasn't like take a hose pipe and just spray it. My grandfather was meticulous. Uh, Around our garden, he had five-gallon buckets. Imagine this room being about the size of the garden. And he'd have five-gallon buckets lined up around the fence line, and he would make me take a cup, a little red Solo cup. You can use your imagination what those are for in the South. But we would take the red Solo cup. 
And we'd dip it in the water, and I'd have to water each plant one by one. Then I'd have to take that same cup, and I'd have to take the fertilizer mix, and I'd take a half cup of that and water them one by one. Again, a room about this size, just rows of vegetables, rows of plants. But we had to tend to them. Now, what I know is this. I was responsible for plowing the ground. I was responsible for growing the seed, and I was responsible for waiting. But I wasn't responsible for watering. I wasn't responsible for the rain itself. Did I take the cup out of the bucket? Absolutely. But where did that water come from? It came from the sky. It came from the rain. Now, when I was writing this sermon, I kind of went down this rabbit trail, and I was, I was sitting there typing and started thinking about rain. So it started making me think of movies and songs that have, like, iconic rain moments, all right? So the first one that I thought about, I just started singing it when I was, I was literally at the coffee shop singing it, uh, but 1952, Gene Kelly and Debbie Reynolds, the movie is Singing in the Rain. I'm singing in the, I'm not a singer, by the way. I'm sorry, but I'm going to sing some songs today. I'm singing in the rain. Anybody love that song? Anybody like that movie? Anybody remember when that movie came out? You're the seasoned generation. God bless your soul. Thank you for pouring into our church. The next movie that I thought about, iconic rain movie, iconic rain scene. I'm, confession time. Um, Lord, I confess that I like chick flicks. All right, so there you go. I put that out there. But the movie is The Notebook. And it's like, oh, yeah. Like, but you remember the scene. You remember Allie and Noah. They're in the rowboat. And they're out on the little pond. You hear the thunder in the background. Like the music starts, Ed, that music, that orchestra music starts playing. And it's in the back. And Noah's just rowing. And it starts to rain. And Allie's trying to cover her head with like her jacket. And then she's like, forget it. She puts it down. They start to laugh. They finally get to the little dock. And, and they get out of the boat. And Allie looks back. The rain starts to come down even harder. And she goes, why didn't you write me? He's like, I did write you. <laughs> I wrote you every day for a year. I wrote you 365 letters. But what makes that scene isn't the words that are exchanged. It's the music and it's the rain. Do I have any Matrix fans in the room? Y'all remember the, the final battle scene against the agent and Neo? And, and the agent looks at Neo and he says, Mr. Anderson, we've been waiting for you. And there's like 100 agents kind of lined around Neo. And he says, it ends tonight. And then what happens? The rain begins to fall. And, and they had this epic fight scene. It's like the most dramatic music I've ever heard in a movie. But they had this epic fight scene. But what makes the fight scene isn't the moves, but it's the rain. There, there's one moment in this scene where they kind of hit each other and the rain's just suspended. You can see it like it's not moving at all. But what makes that scene is the rain. Let's switch gears. Let's talk to my musicians in the room. First song that I thought about, you can judge me if you want to, but some of you are already thinking about this song. But Prince has a good one. Purple rain, purple rain. Anybody? No? I, I mean, I can, I can jam out to some Prince now. Like I can, I can sing. Honey, I know. Right? Like, I can sing. I, can, I'm not, I'm, I won't sing to you, babe. All right? But, man, I can, I can sing. So let me, here's another. Let me switch gears. Y'all sing this one with me, especially if you knew it. Know it. Rain makes corn. Corn makes Y'all are going to hell. Some of y'all shouted that thing loud and proud, baby. Corn does not make whiskey. It makes a good side dish. All right? But we, like, if you're, especially if you like country music, like, you, you know that song. What about this one? CCR. 
Some of y'all are like, Who, who's CCR? Let me sing the song. I want to know. Have you ever seen? There you go. Credence Clearwater Revival. Some of y'all are like, oh, that's who sings that song. I got to know Guns N' Roses, November Rain. All right, I'm going to speak to a specific group right now. It's very, very specific. I know one of them's in the back, but very specific group. What about Millie Vanilli? Blame it on the rain. You got to blame it on something, baby. Blame it on the rain. And then the last one that I, that I thought about, uh, probably one of the most iconic voices of the modern era, but Adele, I set fire to the Anybody sing that song for me? I set fire to the rain. Okay, no. <laughs> Slow that down. But there's, some, there's something about rain that catches the ear and it, and it catches the eye. Again, it makes those movie scenes more dramatic and it makes those songs more recognizable. When I lived in Florida, anybody from Florida in the room? You can set your watch by the rain. You know that it's going to rain at 4 o'clock every single day. Like, you, you just know that. Now, when we were in college, Keith, we had a lot of fun in college, but we had this intramural field that was really like a flood zone. <laughs> so every time it would rain, it would just fill up with water. And what we would do is we would take our skim boards that were meant for the beach, throw those suckers on the intramural field, and just have a good time. But we, we would stand out there for hours and just stand in the rain. Anybody ever st- just stood in the rain? Now, was it, beyond, you don't have to answer this out loud, was it a good stand in the rain? Like, Lord, this is great. Or was it like, oh, God, why am I here? Like, yeah, like there's, t- there's two different moments of, of standing in the rain. Oh, man, I, I love the rain. I like songs about the rain. Again, rain makes more memorable movie scenes and, and songs. But what I know is this, rain is absolutely essential. It's absolutely essential. Thinking back to my grandparents and and them growing crops, there's many things that I can do. There's many things that I have to do to produce a crop. I have to plow the land. I have to scatter the seed, and I have to wait. What I can't do is I can't make it rain. But for the harvest to come, we absolutely need the rain. Think about our spiritual walk and our spiritual lives. We can plow, we can sow, and we can wait. But man, we can't make it rain. We can plow, we can sow, and we can wait, but we cannot make it rain. I want to preach a word to someone who needs God to show up in a situation that is beyond your control. You feel like this situation won't come to pass, you won't make it through on the other end if God doesn't show up. So I want to take a look at Zechariah chapter 10. And before we dive in today, I want to give you a little synopsis, a little historical context of what's going on. So just as a reminder, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We read in 2 Kings that the Babylonians, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, they took captive many of the rich, many of the educated, and many of the powerful families around 597 B.C., and he took them from Jerusalem and took them to Babylon. We pick up in Zechariah chapter 1 when King Cyrus, the new king, let the Israelites go back to where they were taken captive from, They were released from slavery. They were released from bondage. And because of his family heritage, Zechariah was a priest and he was a prophet. So throughout the entire book of Zechariah, he's encouraging Israel to follow after God and to rebuild what was destroyed, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city, to rebuild the wall. We pick up in Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1, and it reads like this, Ask the Lord for the rain in the spring. For he makes the storm clouds and he will send showers of rain so every field becomes a lush pasture. 
Now, again, think of these Middle Eastern weather patterns and, and the two seasons of harvest. Let me paint some more description for you. The Israelites, again, they had just come out of slavery. They're going back to this home where no one has been for years. The temple is destroyed, and they have to start providing for themselves. But they're not showing up to a place that's been producing crops. They're not showing up to a place that's been tended for or cared for. It's been barren for 70 years. I imagine there were weeds growing everywhere. I imagine, again, everything's torn down. There's cracks in the wall. The temple is absolutely destroyed. I imagine there's some rocky soil, and they're kind of just standing there going, I'm supposed to plant in this? There's supposed to be a harvest that comes out of that? I'm supposed to wait on the rain and something good is going to come from what looks like death and destruction. They were waiting on the rain. And then you have this prophet. You have Zechariah. Now, remember back a couple weeks ago, Zechariah is Haggai's younger contemporary. So he's the young prophet. He's the young dude. Haggai, man, he's been, he's been a prophet to the Israelites. Zechariah kind of comes on the scene and he starts to become this younger prophet. And what he says in chapter 10, verse 1, is, hey, ask the Lord for the rain. He makes the storm clouds, and he will send showers of rain. So every field will become a lush pasture. Now think about that for a second, because we, again, we can gloss over scripture, we can read it without understanding the context of what's going on. The dude has never lived where they, where they just moved to. He just got taken out of captivity. He's this younger guy. He's never planted a field before. He's a prophet and he's a priest. He's never planted in a field. He's never had to work a field. He's never had to produce or harvest or to to, to pick up the harvest. He's literally this younger contemporary, this younger dude. Hey, just ask God for the rain and the rain will come. That would be like a young pastor, probably in his 30s, like 33 or so, about to turn 34. Praise God. (laughs) Stepping on stage, or any other communicator stepping on stage, and saying, hey, whatever you're going through, why don't you just pray about it? Hey, I, don't, I don't know your marriage situation. I don't know your family situation. Just pray about it. It's like having a, a series called Altered and saying, hey, whatever you're dealing with, bring it to the altar. I don't know how your business is going, but bring it to the altar. I don't know how many kids you have far off from God, but, but why don't you bring it to the altar? And again, I imagine some of those that, that seasoned generation, the individuals that were older than Zechariah, looked back at him and goes, dude, you have never planted a thing in your life. Yeah, you were in captivity for a little while, but you've never been here. You, you, didn't, you didn't experience what we experienced. We're supposed to make something out of this? Do you know what it used to be? Do you know the temple that used to, to stand here? Do you know how strong the walls used to be? Do you know the harvest that used to be produced in this area? And you, you want us to plant and it looks like death and destruction. It looks like everything is gone. It's like you sitting in your chair going, you don't know what I've been through in my life. You don't know what my marriage has been through. You don't know what my kids have been through. You don't know what my business has been through. You, you don't know what I'm dealing with in my life. You tell me to come to the front and pray for the family member that I haven't talked to, uh, to in five years. You don't know that family member. I do. And it's, it's really easy for us to begin to point fingers. Hey, you don't, you don't know what I've experienced, but what I know is this. Zechariah, in this moment, he just had faith that God is who he says he is. 
So why do I stand up here? Why do communicators stand up here on a stage and say, hey, take it to God first? It's not because we don't value your situation. Yeah, we don't fully understand your situation, but we do understand who God is. He's still king. He's still on his throne. He's still active and moving. Now, now the outcome might not be exactly what you want it to be. The response from heaven might not be exactly what you want it to be. But guess what? He's still king. He's still on his throne. And he's still in control. So, so when we dive into this scripture, we have to begin to, to open up and, and see what's going on. We have to keep plowing, keep sowing, and keep waiting. Now, now listen, I know that February and March got their seasons confused this year. But the reality of it is, we're starting. Anybody else look at the weather this coming week? It's going to be warm again. Thank you, Jesus. Right? It's warmer than 30, all right? So that's, that's a positive. Some of y'all wake up at 4 a.m. Yes, it's still going to be 25 degrees at 4 a.m. Some of us are normal and wake up when the sun comes up, all right? <laughs> but we're stepping out of this season of winter, and we're stepping into this season of spring. If you allow it, if you allow Scripture to speak to you, regardless of the season that you find, are we going to go through dark seasons and hard seasons? Absolutely. But if we stay connected to Jesus, if we stay connected to Scripture, if we stay connected to the direction that he's following us, then every season has to end. If you're walking in a dark, winter, cold, dry season, guess what? Spring is coming. Guess what? The rain is coming. You're called to what? You're called to plow. You're called to sow. And you're called to wait. You're not called to make it rain. So regardless of the season you find yourself in, are you plowing, are you sowing, and are you waiting? And I don't mean like anxiously waiting. I don't mean like the dog that stands at your door like, are they coming back, are they coming back, are they coming back? God, where are you, God, where are you? Like we do, God's like, hey, listen, just, just wait. Scripture says that he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. Guess what, he hasn't gone anywhere. Can you actively wait? Spiritually, again, I think some of us are stepping out of that winter season and, and there's three words that Zechariah says that I think we, we see, we read, and we try to do but we don't do it appropriately. First three words that he says in chapter 10, verse 1, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. Sometimes we don't take our circumstances and our problems to God. We say, hey, God, I will, I will take care of every, or if you take care of everything else, I can take care of this one situation that I'm dealing with. I, I'll, take care of, I'll take care of my kid. You take care of everything else, I'll take care of my kid. Hey, you take care of everything else, I'll take care of this issue at work. You take care of everything else, I'll take care of my marriage. You take care of everything else, I'll take care of my, and you fill in the blank. And God's going, hey, like, you know, when I wrote the Bible, when I sent Jesus, like, I said I would, I would take, care of, I'll take care of it all. You just have to trust me. Again, it might not be the exact response that you want. It might not be the exact direction that you were planning on or hoping for, but guess what? He's still king. He's still on his throne, and he's still in control. If you allow him to be, that's part of waiting. Some of us are really good at plowing. We're really good at planning, preparing. We're really good at sowing. We can like throw the seed. We can do what God's called us to do. But when it comes to waiting, oh boy. It's like my daughter. The, the worst question that my daughter has learned, are we there yet? We can be driving seven minutes to the grocery store. We get in the car, shut the door, take one turn. Are we there yet? No, Piper, we are not. We're nowhere close. But, but that's how we treat God sometimes. God, are, are we there yet? God, am I out of this season yet? 
I know you didn't bring me this far to bring me this far, so when can I go further? And we question God. We question God in that season of waiting. We say, God, where is the rain? What if we changed our mindset to, hey, God, could you prepare me for the rain? Because when we ask the question, where is the rain, what we're actually doing is questioning, God, God, are you still there? God, are you are who you say you are? Are you really going to show up in this situation? But when we flip the question, God, can you help me prepare for the rain? What does that say? Hey, God, I have faith. I don't fully understand it. I don't fully get it. But I do have faith. You are who you say you are. Let me give you some practical applications of what happens when it rains. The first one is this. If you're taking notes, write it down. Number one, it exposes the things that are false. There's a lot of nonsense that we follow and don't even realize. Let me read Zechariah chapter 10, starting in verse 2. Household gods give worthless advice. Fortune tellers predict only lies, and interpreters of dreams pronounce falsehoods that give no comfort. So my people are wandering around like lost sheep. They are attacked because they have no shepherd. Some of us have more faith in those old school 1980s magic eight balls than we do in God. Y'all remember having those? Am I going to marry that person? Not in your life. All right, cool. Oh, what about those little, y'all remember those little Chinese things? How many kids am I going to have? Seven, heck no. Like, y'all remember that thing? Who are you, you know, did anybody, okay, this was, I asked this in, uh, I asked this in first service. Did anybody ever do the one where you're like, how many kids are you going to have? How many times can you reach around your wrist? Yeah. No? Okay, thank you, because nobody else. And I was like, we were born in South Carolina. We didn't have cable. Like, you know, but was like, how many kids are you going to have? I don't know, how many times can you reach around your wrist? You'd go like one. Oh, just one, right? You'd go way up your, way up your forearm. But we have more faith in things outside of God than we do in God. And we wonder why our lives aren't aligned with what Scripture says they should be aligned with. Let me tell you this. I don't need Twitter to give me good advice. I don't need CNN or Fox to give me good advice. I don't need another social media clip to give me good advice. I don't need a State of the Union address to give me good advice. I don't need another influencer or athlete giving me good advice. This one's going to be hard to say. I don't need another country song giving me good advice. And I love country music. Like, I'll listen to a country song. Jake's over here, like, doing this. Was that for you or for your wife? Like, I'm just confused. Okay, for you. Okay. But I'm listening to a country song. I'm like, Jesus is speaking to me, baby. Like, nobody else. Okay, just me. I'll confess. You do it. I'm like, come on, Tim McGraw. Give me another one. Like, I, don't, I don't need that. In our society and our culture, this is what we're hearing a lot of. We're hearing, hey, I'll send you good vibes and good energy. I don't need your good vibes and good energy. You know what I need? I need the spirit of God working through you when you're praying for me. Don't send me good vibes and good energy. Send me prayers. I don't need Twitter. Give me the Bible. What if we actually dove into what God has given us, the B-I-B-L-E, to follow after him? The B-I-B-L-E, that's the one for me. Yeah. Did anybody else start singing that song when I said that? That was unscripted. <laughs> God has given us everything that we need. 
The problem is, again, we're looking at good vibes and good energy. We're looking at Twitter and Instagram, and, and there's a place for those things. There's a, rate, a, a place to reach people for those things. But here's the challenge. Some of us in this room will open up Instagram and go through, like, some inspirational page to tell us how we should feel and, oh, I'm going to feel good today because that's a good post, opposed to opening up the Bible and saying, hey, what does God say about this situation? And Zechariah, what he points out, he says, hey, you're wondering why you feel like you're, you're going astray. You wondering, you're wondering why you feel like you're always attacked. It's because you're following the wrong thing. Follow after God. Align your heart with God. And then, and then you're protected. When you step outside of that relationship with God and you feel like you're always attacked. Now, that doesn't mean that just because you follow Jesus, things are going to be easy. You're still going to be attacked. But you know that you have protection regardless of what life throws at you. Let me tell you some falsehoods of modern Christianity. Here's a falsehood of modern Christianity. I just have to be a good person to get into heaven. Uh, again, I, I, I'm not trying, to, I'm not trying to, to offend anyone. Yes, I am. I am trying to offend you. That would be a lie if I said that. Because sometimes people in the church need to be offended, myself included. There's only two options after you die. There's heaven and there's hell. And for some reason, we get so complacent and we say things like, oh, well, that, that, they're, they're a good person. Or we say things like this, and I, I believe this is somewhat true, but I also believe we're called to open our mouth. Because when Scripture says, go around baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, guess what? That means you have to open your mouth. But we say things like this in our modern culture because we don't want to offend anybody. I'm just going to live my life, and they're going to see Jesus through me. Well, they can't see Jesus through you when your life is exactly like their life. Now, now hear me. I'm guilty of it. I, I am guilty of it. Well, just, hey, you just need to, you just need, hey, just lean in and trust God a little more. Zach, you didn't trust God when you were going through that? You were complaining. You right. <laughs> but we say things like, man, I'm just going to let them see the way that I live my life. Are you living a life that aligns with Scripture? Again, I'm not trying to condemn you or convict you. I'm trying to open your eyes and your mind and your heart and going, hey, where are the areas that you need to make some tweaks or changes in your life? Because Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1 if we don't pay attention to these things, then we get outside of the fold. We get outside of the community. And when we're outside of the community, what happens? We're attacked. I have to preach the fullness of Scripture. I have to preach the fullness of the Bible. Go to our next point. What happens when it rains? The second thing is this. You have to prepare to fight. Fighting isn't easy. Fighting takes work. But you know what we're all built for? We're built to fight. Let's read verse 5. They will be like mighty warriors in battle, trampling their enemies in the mud under their feet. Since the Lord is with them as they fight, they will overthrow even the enemy's horsemen. Again, we were built to fight. You were built to fight for your walk with Jesus in the culture and the society that we're living in. Parents in the room, you were built to fight for your kids. Who better to fight for your kids than, than the parents? I'm not going to say that. I digress. Here we go. You were, you were built to fight for your marriage. Stop telling me about everything that's wrong in your marriage. Tell me what you're fighting for. Encourage me in my marriage. Don't just complain to me about your spouse. Tell me what you're fighting for. Tell me the good things that are happening. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your friendships. Don't be the person in the room who only calls someone when there's something wrong with you in your life. And then you reach out, hey, can, you, can I talk to you about my problems? And then when you know a friend has something going on in their life, you're radio silent. 
Fight for your friendships. Fight for your friendships like you wish somebody would fight for you as a friend. Fight for your church. If you call Multiply Lake Norman home, fight for this place. Fight for the people that are on your right and on your left. Fight for the people who are in front of you and behind you. What would it look like if we truly linked arms together and started fighting the enemy and started stop fighting each other? Not that there's people fighting each other in this church, but what I feel like is this. We're not focused on the main thing, and the main thing is to advance the kingdom of God. What would it look like to link arms and fight? It doesn't matter how big the enemy is. It doesn't matter what they come riding in on. We were made to fight, but why do we know we were made to fight? We have to continue to read. The Lord is with them as they fight. They will overthrow even the enemy's horsemen. We were built to fight not because of what we're fighting for, but because of who we're fighting with. And for some of us, man, we forget that Jesus is on our side. We forget that we've already won. We forget that there's no other outcome. It's not like one of those books where it says, like, turn to seven, page 17 for the alternate ending. No, 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 there is no alternate ending. Read the end of the book. Read in Revelation what happens. He comes back. He wins. The devil's defeated. Sorry if I spoiled it for you. But we win. And sometimes we live as if we're losing. And we live, we live as if we're questioning God. It preaches really, really, really well. That, that statement, we're built to fight not because of what we're fighting for, but because of who we're fighting with. Again, that preaches really well. But what's the last thing that you think of when you're absolutely exhausted? The last thing you want to do is fight. The last thing that you want to do is give your all. I, I guarantee you there, there's some people in the room, you feel like you only have so much energy to give. You feel like there's only so much left of, of who you are. And, and if you put yourself out there one more time, and if you fight one more time and you lose, there's not going to be anything left of you. But you have to keep reading. What does Zechariah chapter 10 verse 6 say? God says this, I will strengthen Judah and save Israel. I will restore them because of my compassion. It will be as if though they, I have never rejected them, for I am the Lord, their God, who will hear their cries. When it rains, we fight. And when we fight, Scripture says, God tells us that we're strengthened and restored. I know you feel tired. I know you feel like you want to give up. I know you feel like you don't have much left to give. I know that the situations that you're facing seem insurmountable, but you can't give up. You have to stand up. You have to keep fighting because when you fight, you're strengthened and restored. Strengthened and restored. The next thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes is this. When it rains, you will see multiplication. Verse 8, when I whistle to them, they will come running for I have redeemed them. For the few who are left, they will grow as numerous as they were before. The original Hebrew translation sounds more like this. I will multiply them as I have multiplied them. Remember what they've experienced. They just came out of slavery. They just came out of bondage. They're showing up to nothing. The wall is broken. The temple is destroyed. And it's not, it's not that if you will win the battle, it's absolutely when you will win the battle. Because what I understand is this, when we follow God, we live in all the promises that the Lord has for us, regardless of what things look like. 
The temple can be destroyed. The wall can be destroyed. But guess what? My, my hope and my faith wasn't in a wall. My hope and my faith wasn't in a temple. My hope and my faith was in the power, the presence, and the glory of who God is. So regardless of what you walk through in life, is your hope in the situation, is the hope in your bank account, is the hope in your spouse, is the hope in your friends, or is the hope in Christ and Christ alone? What else happens when it rains? The last point is this, the harvest is brought in. But what is, what is the harvest? What's the harvest? It's people who have left, people who are in distress, and people who are under oppression. People who have left, people who are in distress, and people who feel like they're under oppression. I, I don't know about you, but when I read that list, I fit into a couple of them, especially during different seasons of my life. Zechariah chapter 10, verse 9, people who have left, though I have scattered them like seeds among the nations, they will still remember me in, in distant lands. They and their children will survive and return again to Israel. Why, why do we have some signs? Why we got yard signs? Why do we have come sit with me cards? It's because I truly believe that people who have left and not just multiply church, but people who have walked away from God are being brought back. You know, we read the story of the prodigal son, right? I don't know about you, but I, I've been one of those. I thought things were better on the other side. I thought that life would be a little better if I can control more and give God less. And I quickly found out, well, I'll be honest with you, I'm redheaded and I'm stubborn. It wasn't quick. <laughs> I eventually came back. It's always, it's always better with Jesus. The people who have left will come back. Why do we say, hey, if you see a sign, pray for it. I don't care if they walk through these doors. I just want them to hear about Jesus. That's why we do what we do. Keep reading. I'll bring them back from Egypt and, and gather them from Assyria. I'll resettle them in Gilead and in Lebanon until there is no more room for them. God wants to fill the house. Again, not because we can say, oh, we had record attendance on this Sunday. It has nothing to do with that nonsense. It has everything to do with them standing face to face with God himself. That they might step into his presence. What about the people who are in distress? Verse 11, they will pass safely through the sea of distress. The waves of the sea will be held back and the waters of the Nile will dry up. Let me speak to somebody this morning. You've been walking through some hard situations and you feel like the waves of this world are about to crash down on you. You got stuff going on in your home life. You got stuff going on at work. You got stuff going on with medical history. Regardless of what it is, you feel like things are crashing down on you. What does God say? He goes, I'm going to hold it back. You might feel like they're getting close. I'm going to hold it back. This isn't in my notes, but I imagine when the Israelites originally kind of crossed the Red Sea, you know, we talk about the, the Red Sea parting and, and the waters are on both sides and the dry ground. I wonder, I wonder if someone got close enough to the water. One, I wonder if like somebody tried to reach in the water and reach out. You ever seen Moana? Like <laughs> reach in and reach out. But I wonder, taking some creative liberty here, I wonder, a lot of people, somebody's going to be pressed up against that, that wall of water. I wonder if they felt the mist of it. You ever think about that? Like, I, I wonder if they felt that mist, and I wonder if that mist turned into doubt. 
Because that's how we can operate in our lives sometimes. We feel like the wall's coming and it's crashing down. It's coming in. I can, I can feel the mist. God, God, can I really trust you? He says, I'm going to hold it back. The Nile's going to dry up. I'm going to hold it back. You're going to pass through. Hear me, regardless of your situation. I know I've said it a couple times. Repetition is key. That's what they told me in school, right? Regardless of your situation, God is still God. God is still king. He's still on his throne. He's still in control. We're called to plow. We're called to sow. And we're called to wait. We're not called to make it rain. Are you truly trusting in who God is? What about the people under oppression? The pride of Assyria will be crushed. And the rule of Egypt will end by my power. I'll make my people strong. And by my authority, they will go wherever they wish. I, the Lord, have spoken. Multiply, church. It's time to ask God for the rain. Because when it rains, it exposes things that are false. When it rains, it causes us to prepare to fight. When it rains, it allows us to see multiplication. And when it rains, it allows us to bring in the harvest. Can I remind you, these aren't Zach Witt's words. These aren't my words. Scripture says, I, the Lord, have spoken. Notice what we've been talking about. The outcome of the rain is always the harvest. So, so we can focus on the storehouse. Again, different seasons, right? They're sowing different times of the year, but every time they sow to wait on the next harvest, the storehouse is empty. Every time they sow, they wonder where their provision is coming from. And this is what I understand. You can look at the storehouse. We can look at our lack. We can look at what we don't have. And then we have this tendency to look in our hands and go, God, this is all that I have left. If, if I throw this out, then my hands are empty. God, I, I, think, I think I trust you, but I'm not, I'm not fully sure. You've called me to plow. I've plowed. You've called me to sow. I've sowed, but I haven't seen you. I haven't seen you show up. I haven't seen you working. And, and this is all that I have left. This is everything that I have left. And we hold on to this seed as if we're scared to throw it out. But if we don't release the final seed that we have, then we don't have empty hands to receive what God is trying to give to us. Too often we hold on to the final bit of what God used to do. We hold on to the final bit of God used to show up in my life. When I was a teenager, God did this. When I went on that mission trip, God did that. When I got married, my marriage was this. And we hang on to that and God said, hey, release that, sow it, and let me fill your hands with something new. Let, let me put into your hands what will fill the next storehouse. Will you truly step into the next harvest that I have for you? Make no mistake about it, the purpose of the rain is for the harvest. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says this, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Why can I stand up here and say, hey, come to the altar and pray? Why can I have conversations with individuals and say, hey, let's, let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. It's because if I, if I truly believe what Scripture says, and let us not grow weary of doing good. Some of us have grown weary of doing good, myself included. I'll be honest with you. It's exhausting being a pastor. It's hard being a pastor. I love it. I love the grind. But I can't grow weary of doing good. That's why we do what we do. Moms in the room, listen, you're saints. 
I know it's exhausting raising kids. Don't grow weary of doing good. See it with my own kids. You get frustrated with your kids sometimes. Go to your room. I just need five minutes. Then once you have a couple minutes to kind of breathe, you realize how much you really love them and you, hey, I'm so sorry. Like, come here. Don't grow weary of doing good because in due season you will reap if you don't give up. And then Luke chapter 10 verse 2 says this, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. You know what gets me about this scripture? The laborers are few, not the people. Plenty of people, but how many of us are actually laborers and stepping into the harvest? That one hurts. Because I've been a consumer. I've come into churches, right? I sit down, pastor, that's good. It's a good message, that's a good word. I ain't doing it. What, what do you mean go talk, what do you mean go to work? I remember when I worked in a, man, I worked for a technology company. I was so convicted that I should tell people about Jesus. This was before I stepped into ministry. God, I can't, I can't do that, I just started this job. God, I can't, I can't be the weird one that just comes in and talk, starts telling people about Jesus, why not? I'm where I am in my life because some weird person told me about Jesus. I will spend eternity in heaven with my Savior because someone took the time to tell me about Jesus. Church, we have to keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is telling people about Jesus. What's the church here for? The church is to welcome people in. Now listen, when they get here, we're going to talk about sin. I can't talk about the love, the grace, and the forgiveness of Jesus without talking about the judgment of Jesus and the judgment of God. It's a different side of the same coin. We wouldn't need love, grace, and forgiveness if there wasn't judgment. Guess what? If there wasn't love, if there wasn't judgment, we wouldn't need Jesus. They all work in unison. We're called to do our part, to keep plowing, to keep sowing, and to keep waiting because the rain is coming and it's time for us to gather the harvest. I could stand up here, I could rah rah, I could get you to like jump up on your, if you're all in, jump up on your feet, but I believe it's more personal than that. Because if I said, hey, collectively, could we stand and worship? We would all stand. I don't know if you would really mean it. You don't know if you would really mean it. But this is what I'm gonna ask for us to do today team's going to lead us back into worship. And if you feel like God is calling you to be a laborer, if you feel like God is calling you to move into a harvest and tell people about him, trick question, by the way, then as we step back into worship, man, I want you to begin to stand and worship Jesus for who he is and ask him to open doors, to open opportunities. Say, God, I'm committed. I'm committed to plowing. I'm committed to doing the work sowing and I'm committed to waiting as long as you bring the rain.